T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome to The Connection, a weekly radio program where we share our experiences and expertise with stories of caring, courage, and change right here in Connecticut. Listen to learn about needed resources to improve your well-being and transform your life. Now, here are the hosts of The Connection, Lisa dematis Lapore and Ann Baldwin. And hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of The Connection. So happy to be with you here this morning. My name is Ann Baldwin, President and CEO of Baldwin Media, just celebrating how many years? 23. 23 years. That's right. Amazing. They say if you make it five, you're probably going to survive. Oh, is that? So I wonder what 23 means. I don't, you have two, then it's 25. (laughs) Then you have to go to 30. Means I've lasted longer than most marriages. I longer I lasted longer than mine. That's for sure. <laughs> Twenty three, married eleven. Uh, so I at least I broke some record. That's good. Actually, it's amazing, and I'm so grateful. You know, I'm so grateful that, you know, after I left television news, that I landed on my feet and kind of recreated myself, and that I really, um, I not only have I made a difference, but I feel like it's just it's been great. I'm kind of tired. It's a lot of work, but you know who I'm working for. Yourself. Me. Yes. God, there's nothing like it. No one tell me. I don't like that color on you. Uh, Speaking of colors, do you like my t-shirt? I like your t-shirt a lot. Oh, my God. I know. It matches your eyes. It's a little tight, but that's how they wear them in these places, you see. It's uh, It's very pretty. What's it called? Lacona? Laconia, New Hampshire. Laconia. Laconia, New Hampshire. You should get a motorcycle that is blue, match like your car. Like my car? So Beth Beth Connor went to Laconia. And one th- if you said, what's the one thing you would never guess about Beth Connor? It said she rides a fr- uh, rides on a Harley. On the back with her husband. On the back with her, her husband. husband. So wonderful. she was going to Laconia. And I said, oh, my God, I have to have a T-shirt so I can just pretend that I'm a badass. But you could give me $10,000. No, maybe more. $50,000. And if you told me I had to get on the back of a bike and go somewhere, I'd turn you down. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Really? Uh-uh. So, speaking of, so the, the whole, first of all, this is Lisa demattis Lapore from The Connection, CEO from The Connection. <laughs> Just throw that in there. But this is the cool thing. Anne Margaret learned how to drive, a, this is a fun fact, okay. at 55, a motorcycle. Well, there you go. There you go. So, hey. There's never, always time. There's always time. Anne Margaret. Yeah. I love her. I just love her. She is. Mm. So 55. So yeah, I'm You just, remind me of a younger version of her. Blonde, well, I'm blue a, eyes. I'm actually older Icy. than 55. So, oh, oh, you mean in the day. No, back you, in the day. Well, no, you're you younger than her now. Yeah, I'm younger than her much now. Much younger right. than her God. now. God. Yeah, but I'm saying younger. it's never too late. I don't know. I, I'm not I'm not going to drive one. I'm not going to ride one. I just don't even want anything to do you with it. You can wear a t-shirt, though. I just wanted the t-shirt. Right. And I can just pretend that I was there. It's much safer Beth that way. Beth shares some of her it's stories with me, and I can know all the details. Yeah, you that's... Yeah. And you got a t-shirt, too, and yours is black. Mine, mine, is, mine is black, and yours is blue. Mine is blue. But you so. know what? Next time, I'll get you a Daytona 500. The Daytona Bike Week oh. is insane. Are you going to that? Oh, we go all the time. It's a lot of fun. 
I've seen the most amazing, interesting, yet very interesting. Oh, I bet. Sights there. Who would have known? The I'm most you know, beautiful I'm, motorcycles because you know. Oh, I'm, I'm sure that's what you're looking well, at. I'm Come a, on. No, but listen, Wizard of Oz. There is a bike that someone owns that has all this amazing, beautiful painting of Wizard of Oz themes on the bike and I have a picture of it and it's the most incredible. Those aren't the pictures I care to look at. I no, want to I want to see just like you know Walmart Welcome to Walmart has its own website. I bet there's some of those Daytona 500 websites too. So take some interesting pictures and we can talk more about we'll that. Talk. All right. But right. Annie, let's get to the let's show. Let's get to the show. Who do we have here? Well we have one of my favorite staff people colleague friend uh, collaborator you know business partner, et cetera, et cetera, Charles Barber, who's been working at the agency, how long, Charlie? 14. 14 years. But who's counting? Yeah, and you've been on this program quite a few times. And the reason is you've always got, like, I, I can never he's believe brilliant. that 30 minutes is done. And, you know. He's so, he's brilliant. You are brilliant and you're interesting. And we get great feedback when you're on the show. So thanks for being here again. So we've kind of talked about bikes for you know, motorcycles for a little too long. So we got to cut to the chase here. So you recently have um, published an article that was um, in the conversation. So the title of the article is not just a place to live from homelessness to citizenship. So why don't you tell people out there listening, first of all, where they could find the article and then uh, for the purpose of this conversation, kind of summarize what the article is all about. Sure. So uh, it's available on the conversation.com and um, it, it's been republished 15 places nationally in the last few weeks. So it's in U.S. News, the L.A. Times, Chicago Tribune, Salon. So if you do Google my name and my co-author, who can't be here today, Michael Rowe, R-O-W-E, you'll find it. In terms of the article, Michael is a, sort of my mentor and a good friend and teaches at Yale where I used to work before The Connection, so I worked with him. Actually, he was... Um, I don't think they called them CEOs back then. He was the executive director of The Connection in 1974 and uh, for six months uh, or a year or something like that. And The Connection, just a little Connection history, um, was four people and it was one halfway house and they'd gone through three executive directors in like a year and a half, many of whom had relapsed. Uh, this was the early 70s, and a lot of people getting into the field were not far out of the field in terms of their own recovery, and it wasn't the dialogue that we are having today. And um, so there, and it was a startup organization, right? And it would, you know, their first grant was forty thousand um, dollars. So Michael, who was at that point a playwright, was there for a year. He is now professor of psychiatry at Yale and has done all this wonderful work, which I'll describe in a second. So uh, just to be very clear, I mainly wrote the article. It's mainly about his work, which I've been a part of, and we're trying to bring the work to the connection. Okay. So Michael, before he became an academic, ran a homeless outreach project in New Haven that was federally funded. So this was in the 90s, and they were going out uh, doing outreach, engaging people, living under bridges in New Haven, trying to get them into housing and treatment and medical care, and which was a relatively new thing at that point. And um, they were pretty successful, And um, but there was a sort of an aha moment for him. So that's the story of this article. And this is how his all his work that has become 
international and award-winning and highly influential and very effective. So they tried to engage a guy called Jim, and he was living, I think, on actually on top of a bridge in New Haven. That's dangerous. Right. Sounds like a dangerous thing. And they, he was always identifiable because he had yellow neon sneakers, and he slept on you know, in a blanket in the winter, this was, you know, January, and they could see his yellow sneakers, you know, sticking out so they could find him every morning. They tried for months and months to get him into treatment. He was suffering from mental illness. He probably had paranoid delusions about what they would do to him if he went to the hospital. Eventually, for whatever reason, he, he agreed to come in, and um, everything just lined up perfectly. He got on medications, he got a physical workup, he got a really nice apartment, and everybody's just feeling great. You know, we, we took this, we're saving this guy's life. And by the way, he had been a veteran of the Korean War and had had some level of functioning before he got really ill. So they go visit him in the apartment one day, or, and actually I don't think they go visit him in the apartment, they go back to the bridge and they see him again with his yellow neon sneakers sticking out. And they're like, what's up? You know, we everything's set up for you. And he said, I didn't feel comfortable in the apartment, um, at least here out on the street, people, under, and you have to understand this in the context of delusions and so on. Um, at least out on the street, people understand me. I have friends. I have people that I can relate to. I've got company. And this was this huge moment for Michael, because here's the system working beautifully, which it rarely does. And a guy rejecting, you know, through no fault of his own, it's this pathology, rejecting the system. So Michael, uh, who's a real deep thinker, um, created an intervention that's now 20 years strong, is, is heavily used now in Connecticut in the Department of Mental Health, and it's now in four countries. And so he, he went back to Aristotle and to Tocqueville and their writings on citizenship and he devised an intervention called the Citizenship Project, and it's been going for 20 years, and they teach classes to, you know, kind of marginalized folks in New Haven, a lot of them with mental illness and criminal justice involvement, and they try and boost, they call it the five R's, their roles, relationships, resources, responsibilities, and rights. And that sounds very abstract, but it comes down to very pragmatic things. So, um, they help them access public entitlements that they're, um, you know, have have that they they can access. They do things like uh, help them with self advocacy. So one thing they do, this is a classroom setting. They they teach it at a soup kitchen in downtown New Haven. It, it's uh, six months of classes every week. They do things like training on public speaking. They do training on responsibilities. And there's two other components. One is they have former graduates of the program who are doing well, provide counseling, what they call wraparound peer support. And then after people have gone through the classes, they do a valued role project in the community. So they do something like one guy was a musician, but he'd stopped playing and he, he did a concert. Mm. Um, one thing that's been super successful for everybody involved is they've had people with mental illness who are now stable train police cadets on how to intervene with people when they're psychotic or in crisis how to engage people in a way that doesn't exacerbate their you know a, you know become a violent or a volatile situation and that's been part of the police cadet academy for years now the bottom line is they've run randomized clinical trials 
and they found that people that have go through this citizenship intervention versus people that don't have had reduced substance abuse, reduced alcoholism, more contact with AA and NA. And so the, the funny thing is, is that it's a non-clinical intervention. It's not about medications and all that, but the, it has had very strong clinical outcomes. So what happened to Jim? So Jim was the um, unwitting creator of the project because this was this huge moment for Michael. And then Michael went on to create the citizenship project. Um, so, so Jim was never able to avail himself of the services. He ended up, which is the end of my story, um, threatening, uh, threatening a public official. You know, he kind of went off the reservation. It actually turned out not to be of any substance, but he essentially left and left town, and I'm not sure whatever happened to him. Mm. But here's somebody, you know, that suffers from all these things, but yet um, peaked an idea in somebody to take it to the next step. Because, you know, Charlie brings up a good point, and I think it's that isolation piece, mm -hmm. right? Um, I think about my elderly father a lot because he's he's kind of antisocial, and I think about the fact that, like, when's the last time somebody touched him mm. or hugged him or had a conversation with him? You know, so you're kind of there in your own head, and if your head's not right, that's not a good place to be. Right. Right? So it's very, very interesting. And then just to think and dig down into, you know, peer support is everywhere, but this peer support was back then, right? So really thinking ahead of the curve and what benefits people, even if that particular case wasn't a success story, right? you learn something from it. Right, absolutely. So what's the bottom line to this article? What kind of feedback are you getting, or what did you want the reader to get out of it? I don't really think like that. I, you know, as a writer, I... I, I tell the story, you know, and so the Jim story is, is the beginning and end of this article. And then there's quite a bit on the actual research, which is super strong and has um, shown really high levels of engagement for people. That, what it comes down to is that people have an enhanced sense of belonging going through um, this project because they meet biweekly in the soup kitchen with people like them. They um, are taught by people that clearly care about them. They re-engage often sort of things that they used to do, like the, the example of somebody giving a concert that you know hadn't done yeah. music for a long time. And then um, they have the chance of being hired to become facilitators of the group in the future. And That's that purpose piece. Exactly. And, you know, Lisa and I have run programs for a long time. We're now sort of out to pasture. We don't actually run programs anymore, but we... Never out to pasture. Well, I, I'm out to pasture. I was um, wondering if you are going to speak up about right, that. Right, I was, I was just waiting for that. Is that but... why you've got grass in your teeth? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I saw four-inch four heels on. I'm not going out to pasture. Yeah, I'm out to pasture. Soon. Okay, you're I, out to I pasture. I just sit and write. But... Um, but what you see having run programs, and it's good us being administrators that we ran programs because yeah. you can often see the people who have been on the front lines, which we have and, and this intervention is from. Um, what it comes down to is hopes and dreams. And so I used to run a mental health facility, uh, residential facility, and we would get... Um, the, the applications of people, and this was in New York City, and these were people coming out of shelters and state hospitals and prisons. It, it was not un, unusual for someone to have, you know, exposure to leukemia, HIV, 
schizophrenia and criminal charges. And you'd read the, the, the you know, like, I mean, I do this for a living, but uh, this sounds pretty scary. How are we going to manage this person? But if someone has hopes and dreams, it, and I almost look at it in the most simple way, they have something to look forward to. Yeah. You know, like, we all go through difficult times. The really bad times for me is when you don't have something to look yeah. forward to. Mm. As long as I have, like, I'm having lunch with someone tomorrow. I'm really, I mean, I'm doing fine. But, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing the person I'm having lunch, you know. And so I think what this, if to cut to the chase, I think what this project does is it gives people that have been dismissed and are literally on the margins and under bridges, and not everybody, but it's had a very high rate of clinical success. It gives people a belief and a sense of belonging and something to look forward to. Yeah, and I, you know, I agree with Charlie. I also take away from this article uh, on a different level also is the beauty of this brilliant mind of Michael Rowe and also the ability that other folks have in the work that we do when something isn't working to try to figure out why and not just kick the person aside. Well, that's an isolated case, so that's not going to happen again. And I think that that's where we can run short, people in general, when they say they just give up. I, th I see this as determination. I see this as commitment. I see as someone who, s who saw a person with value that is, you know, was a even able to say, I don't feel like I belong. So why is that? And sort of looking at how can we make this better? And that's what we need to do in our society, but I'm not going to get on that tangent, is if something, well, why isn't that working? Well, they're this or that. No, the, no, it's not. It, there's, a, there's something tied to it, and how can we collectively come together and figure out? I mean, of course, this is amazing, right, this the citizenship model, and that's what we believe in, but I'm just trying to make a point, right? No, I understand it, and it's, it's like going to a meeting, and you're in charge of making coffee. Mm -hmm. You know, regardless of what it takes, you get there early and you make the coffee and you're proud of making the coffee and it's an obligation. So it's a sense of responsibility. Right. Uh, I was just talking to a group of people the other day that are in recovery and one was, I got to go, I got to go, I got to catch the bus, I got to lead a group, you know, in an hour and a half. And that is like, they were so excited and that's their obligation and that's their contribution because someone's looking up to them and that's that peer-to-peer -peer support again been there, done that, you know, how can I help you get where you need to be and how can you help me stay where I'm at? That's what I think is so great about that peer-to-peer -peer support. It's just, it's a give and take. There's something in it for everybody. Right, right. And the, when you get into the findings and on the strength of, you know, major studies that Michael has done and I've been somewhat involved with, it's now being duplicated exactly, uh, in right. Scotland right. and... Uh, three other countries and um, within the state uh, forensic hospital at Connecticut Valley Hospital, wow. they're now doing a citizenship group. But if you get into the findings, which are very strong, reduced substance abuse uh, six months after the intervention, reduced criminal charges six months after the invention. But there's an interesting finding, and it has to do with reengaging. They actually found that measures of depression and anxiety went up in the group that had this very meaningful intervention. And this is to you know Michael's credit as a researcher. Um, they published those results and they're looking at it to why and what makes perfect sense to me, which is their supposition, is that people, so they, 
the people that went through the intervention, their substance abuse went down. So they're no longer self-medicating and kind of masking things. And l many of the folks, like Jim, were soldiers, were musicians, were, you know, functioning people. And so getting off of the substances, re-engaging with people, going to meetings, they found AA and NA attendance was much higher, uh, reduced criminal charges. The supposition is that it re-engaged a sense of loss, you know, of, of sort of getting in touch with what, what they had lost. Right. Um, and that was part of the traction of ultimately getting better because you have to sort of reckon with, you know, part of it is the roles and responsibilities is that's actually what the, the curriculum is about. So it's an interesting finding that, that they actually found in some ways a negative finding at a psychological level, but it has to do with the hard path of recovery. And uh, again, we're speaking with Charlie Barber. He's the Connections Director of the Institute for Innovative Practice. And once again, we're talking about innovation. You know, I wanted to talk about, um, it seems to me that from the outside looking in and from someone who's not involved in the field that you're in, um, has a lot of this been the result of, you know, tighter funding, you know, more result-based, um, what am I trying to say, result-based Accountability. Accountability and, you know, doing things that you know work as opposed to, you know, throwing money out there and hoping that something sticks so that, you know, you're finding and you're digging deeper and you're, and you're elaborating on, especially at the connection, the things that you know do work because now they're, not that there wasn't ever accountability before, but there's really a high level of accountability now, right? From funders, for grants, of course. Um, for all of those things. And it's a competitive field out there. So you got to know that what you're doing at The Connection um, with in all these services is working. Absolutely. And when I got into the field, the research in mental health and psychiatry was well behind other areas of medicine. And in many ways, it's the equal and in some ways more advanced. It's been a huge sea change. And now that's coming into criminal justice, which there was very little research. So these, um, these areas are really catching up. And, but the, the other aspect of that in terms of bang for the buck is this is actually an incredibly cheap intervention in the scheme of things. Yeah, where's like, yeah. Because you're not, the, when I said before, it had clinical outcomes, but it's not a clinical intervention. So you're not, you know, to be totally pragmatic, you're not paying psychiatrists and APRNs. You're, um, the conveners are bachelor's level, master's level people. Many of the staff are peers. They're now paid, um, but it's relatively inexpensive. And then it's consulted by, by psychiatrists and psychologists, but they're not actually providing the services. So this is, to guesstimate, this is a 10%. Uh, cost of what a uh, you know regular intervention is, and so we're starting to now bring some of these models into our agency. For first of all, it's effective; it's been proven effective over 15 years. It's also cost effective. So sometimes it's the people, not necessarily the people with all the initials or doctors in front of their names that can help solve the problem. It's someone who's been there, done that, right? I mean, that's a piece of it for sure. But I also think when I look at this list again of what the, the five R's, you know, if you think about your own life, right, aren't those things important for all of us? Do you want to read them again, Charlie? Yeah, and I'll do it slowly. Roles, relationships, resources, responsibilities, and rights. And that comes from Michael's 
digging into de Tocqueville and Aristotle. And I'm particularly interested, I'm interested in all of them, but the responsibilities um, I think is important because uh, I found just in my own experience running programs, kind of like what you were saying about getting the coffee, um, when people, even people that are having difficulties with functioning, if you, in a, you know, in a careful and a responsible way, I've found that people can rise to a level that you would never expect. Yes. I'll tell you a real quick story. I was, I ran a, um, a HUD-funded residence for 20 people like Jim, right? Mm -hmm. We didn't have money. This is in New York City in the late 90s. We didn't have money to hire any night staff. This is in Alphabet City, drug-infested area. So we had to tell the residents who were out of psych hospitals and state facilities, you cannot let people in because if we let it go, if we have drug dealers in there, the whole thing, you know, it'll be closed in a week. We did have a family living in the there um, that they could access for help. So it wasn't a total. We did not have one problem with the neighborhood. They, they supported themselves. They took it seriously. Um, they became the staff. And, uh, you know, these are people with pretty high levels of, of impairment. But I explained their rationale, and I explained what was, an, an, you know, at stake. We had beepers back in the day mm -hmm. and all that stuff. They rose to the level of responsibility. Mm -hmm. And I, I gave them a role, and they rose to the level of responsibility. And sometimes isn't that what happens in people's lives? Maybe they don't have that role model. They don't have that person to say, Here's what you need to do. Here's what I'd like you to do. Here's what you should want to do for yourself. So unless somebody gives them a task, and then when you, like any of us, right? Like when I, you know, clean out my closet, and I just keep going back and looking at it again and again and again because I feel so good about what I've done. You know, everybody wants that feeling of accomplishment. So isn't it interesting if we just give some folks the benefit of the doubt and tell them what our expectations and their responsibilities are, mm -hmm. then it can all work out. Mm-hmm. Maybe we just don't give people enough, you know, you go back to that old stereotype thing. Well, they can't do that. You know, they're not right or something's wrong with them. Mm -hmm. Well, let's try it. Right. Let's right. see what happens. One, I have a question about yeah. there, which is the last one. What's that one? Uh, resources. Not resources. I had a question about, okay, what's that one? Rights. Rights. What's rights? Rights is um, the right that you have as a citizen, and this isn't, Political citizenship. This is um, access to health care. To uh, this is access to housing. Um, at a very pragmatic level, what this project was doing was trying to is trying. I mean, it's active. It's probably meeting this afternoon in New Haven. It's mm -hmm. you know this is an ongoing thing. Um, is helping people advocate and access to for medical care, psychiatric care, housing, um, disability, and all that kind of stuff. And what's been very successful is a lot of folks aren't very good at advocating for themselves. Yes. And so what they've done, and this is your world sort of, they do videotaping in the soup kitchen. And before they train folks on uh, you know, public speaking, and then they coach folks on public speaking over, you know, intensively. And then they do a formal presentation and they do, they show them the pre and the post videotaping. Oh, wow. Before and after. Right. Kind of like my media training that I do. Right. And usually the before is pretty ugly. Yes. Yes. And I bet, but I bet they don't make them cry there like I do here. No, I don't no. think so. <laughs> I tell you what, I've, I've smashed some pretty big egos, egos back in my day, but...
you know, that's great because it's it, in public speaking doesn't mean you're going to be standing in front of people giving a speech. You might be talking to somebody on the sidewalk. You might be talking to somebody in the supermarket. You might be applying for a job. You know, people don't understand how communication skills and eye contact and delivery, right. it, it's across the board probably, I think, one of the biggest, you know, responsibilities and, and talents you, you should have to, to succeed in life. So, again, um, I want to thank you so much, Charlie Barber. And, again, the, um, the name of the publication that this article was originally um, published in is called The Conversation. But if you just Google Charlie Barber, that's B-A-R-B-E-R, just like the haircut, um, you can find a number of places where this has been republished. So I love your stories. I love the way you tell a story. I, you know, it's always a joy to have you here on the program. So, and we also want to give out the uh, Connections website too, if people want more information on any of the topics that we talk about, Lisa. Which is theconnectioninc.org. Again, theconnectioninc.org. And we have a one um, eight five an eight five five number. So yes, no longer eight hundred numbers. It's like a new yes, one. Yes, it's new. Eight five five four three five seven nine five five. Eight five five four three five seven nine five five. Right. So no reason not to reach out if you or somebody you know is suffering from whatever. You know, just plant the seed. Start the process. Well, you know, it, it can't call hurt. And, call us and get in. We'll, we'll, you know, we receive information frequently, you know, emails, and people are looking for, you know, do you provide this service or I know someone that needs this and how do I go about it and can you help us? And we, we respond very timely and we will do that. And you can remain anonymous or you don't have to remain anonymous. And if you can't do it, you have uh, relationships with other agencies that can. So thanks to all of you for listening to this edition of The Connection. We look forward to seeing you back here, same time, same place, right here on WTIC News Talk 1080. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.